Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, this is DeRay, and welcome to Pod Save the People. In this episode, it's me, Kaya, Diara, and Miles, as usual, talking about all the news that you don't know. And I'm actually recording this on the road because, you know, I'm still an activist. So I'm traveling across the country, meeting with legislators, and testifying before city councils, and I'm on the road today. But I got to talk to Jonathan Katz, the incredible author of Gangsters of Capitalism. I learned so much in the conversation, and I know that you will too. You have to get this book, must, must, must. My advice for this week is to remember that the work continues. The best way to honor Dr. King and all the people who risked their lives uh, for us, who came before us, is to do the work wherever we are. It's why I'm in the airport right now recording, because I got to get it in, and I have to travel to another city that I didn't necessarily plan to be in, but want to be here because the work of organizing is community work. Let's go. My news this week is about the Virginia Beach Police Department because they were using forged documents with fake DNA evidence looking like it came from the Virginia Department of Forensic Science in order to get confessions from people. They did it on at least five occasions in between March 2016 and February 2020, which is wild. And, you know, here's the thing. When it came out in an investigation, the Virginia Beach City Council agreed to some reforms to stop it from happening in, in the future. But those reforms are only in effect for two years. And I bring this up because it actually is legal for the police to lie uh, in the country unless a police department or a city council makes it illegal, but it is legal generally, which is also wild. But it's like, you know, if you got to lie to get people to to do things, then like we're off to a bad foot. And, you know, DNA is one of those things that people understand to be science. So when you see a, an official looking report coming out, say the DNA said this, people often tend to be swayed by that. And I wanted to bring this here because I didn't know this was happening. I think the space around forensic science and organizing around forensics is really undertapped in terms of organizing. I think that most of the work is litigation. Uh, but it really blew my mind to know that they were literally faking, making fake documents, uh, pretending to be from the forensic lab to put people in jail and to force people, to coerce people into confession. So wanted to drop it here. Truly did blow my mind. And again, it makes me think about how we should pay more attention to the forensic space because what people think to be science sometimes could be a coerced confession. And the last thing I'll say is that Virginia, Lord, you know, the new governor is stripping away the whole civil rights part of the website. The new DA is literally getting rid of the wrongful conviction unit. So, you know, the work of organizing in Virginia is going to be even more important in these next four years because these new jokers that just got elected are literally working against every good thing that might have happened. So the fight continues. I wanted to bring some news about a tech company that um, I have experienced. The people who work there, um, a black a black-owned tech company called Black Tag. It is a um, platform. Uh, it's a platform f- uh, for artists to share and discover um, new talent, but it's really way more than that. I was really impressed by um, Black Tag because... It was a 
company, a, t- a Black-owned tech company th- through and through that was really focused on niche content. And they really had this uh, passion for um, tech and entertainment and really keeping ownership to the people who, um, to, to the artists who created it. It um was really thrilling to kind of find Black people in the tech space. As somebody who um, I am, I do create a lot of, um, I I have engaged and had to create a lot of content in my life, but as somebody who um, is not necessarily educated when it comes to tech and feels ostracized, specifically as a Black person from um, being in it, it felt really empowering to meet these Black people really interested in a, taking down the barriers, taking down those borders, taking down um, those uh, those things, and then supplying, you know, opportunities for Black artists and Black content creators to create content and own their, own their stuff. So... Um, I went to, so I've been seeing articles since I've, since I've first met them, I've been seeing articles, um, in New York Times and Business Insider profiling the whole company and how, um, the inside, the internal and the external are, um, are black and the software developers, the, the, the data researchers, the engineers, um, the, the media, the producers, the publicists, everybody is black. And I was like, wow, this is a really cool model for how to do things in the future. And it doesn't really stop there because, yes, it is important for businesses and for us to think of models that maybe already exist and how to make them um, accessible for us. But I was really interested in the fact that it's just a new thing in general. So the app is the app is something that they that they created where you can stream other people's content um and, and, and stream content and um that that they produce that other artists who are inside have produced and you can also share your own content so it's like social media meets Netflix HBO um meet like H, excuse me HBO Max Netflix meets you know Instagram so it's really interesting and it really um flattens the uh the that kind of hierarchy that's created between the artist and the audience and it makes everybody involved. And I just thought that was a really interesting thing that, um, that you'll, that I just think we'll see modeled in general. I think that, that I, I just think that they were really progressive for creating that. And then I knew I had to bring it to the podcast as news when there were leaks, um, you know, uh, emails and leaks, uh, dialogue that was happening at other companies that will show renamed names for now but if you you can easily research who the companies are but other tech companies using black tags model as a way to acquire black activists black artists black content creators to be with to produce for their company so i was like wow this is not just a cool idea to me or something that i found out just because you know, I'm friends with a lot of, you know, artists and, and media people in New York. This is something that other people are taking notice to and, re- and really big wigs are taking notice to and maybe even adopting those things. And I was like, oh, it's probably really necessary to say that this is where this started. This is how this happened. Um, the, uh, this uh, black black people and, and black tech and, 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 and these and this kind of content is happening and is being created. And and it's yet again us creating the future and creating 
equality and equity in our now. And I think that that's just necessary to highlight. And um, hopefully everybody checks it out and sees what I'm sees what I'm talking about. And then also hopefully it sparks you to necessarily, because I think we all have these ideas about what we can invent, what we can do to make um, uh, the internet uh, technology more interesting, more um uh, more equitable and maybe we go to sleep on those ideas or we think that we won't be embracing those ideas and I think this was a story that was proven that no you we, we it, it may be you know more work but this can happen for us and it shall happen for us so don't go anywhere more politics the people's coming In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened, but soon a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, Wondery's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. In the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by men and women committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them face terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states and Canada where their freedom was assured. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season's American History Tellers, the Underground Railroad, early and ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, what's the first thing that you'd do if you had a ton of extra time in a day? Maybe I'd take a nap, go for a run, talk to some friends. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? Now, the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and to make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you help you process the world around you, help you think through the most important things, how you spend your time, where you spend your energy, especially your emotional energy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com people today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash people. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. My news this week highlights new patterns in Black migration across the United States. It comes from an article in the Washington Post that talks about Black people still looking for a Black Mecca. And it talks about population increases and decreases between 1990 and 2020, so over the last 30 years. And some of you may be surprised to learn 
that the Black share has actually decreased in a number of cities that traditionally attracted Black families of earlier generations. Some of the Blackest cities that you know, New Orleans, Richmond, D.C., Chicago, New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles— Um, have seen significant decreases in Black share since 1990. And cities like Memphis, Atlanta, Baltimore, Miami, Columbus, Ohio, Orlando, and Minneapolis have seen increasing Black share since 1990. Some people are calling this the new great migration or the reverse migration, Since so many African-Americans are moving out of the cities that their parents and grandparents fled to during Jim Crow and into the South's booming metropolises. In fact, the percentage of Black Americans that now live in the South has been increasing since 1990. The Black population of Metro Atlanta more than doubled between 90 and 2020, overtaking Chicago as the second largest concentration of Black people in the United States after New York City, which lost about 110,000 Black people since 2000. In metropolitan Charlotte, the Black population more than doubled, while in Houston and Dallas-Fort Worth, their areas saw Black population surpass 1 million people for the first time. Other notable cities that are gaining are San Antonio, Texas, Raleigh, North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina, Orlando, Florida, and Little Rock, Arkansas. The primary driver of the decisions to leave these big northern cities, for the most part, are economics. People are looking for new or better jobs. They're looking for affordable housing. And many of them desire to build the kind of generational wealth that was never realized by their parents and grandparents because of redlining and other discriminatory housing practices and policies. A lot of people are worried about racism in the South when they contemplate a move, but they feel like the larger concentrations of Black people in the South provide an added layer of safety. It's interesting um, that all of them are looking for something better. None of them say they found the promised land. In fact, this article does a really nice job of storytelling, telling the narratives of multiple generations of families in Minneapolis, in Chicago, and in Dallas to understand the motivations behind why people are moving and to understand how things are going in these new cities. In fact, um, there's a book by Charles Blow, New York Times columnist Charles Blow, called The Devil You Know. And Blow argues for exactly this, the reverse migration. And he talks about the political block that could be created if enough Black people moved back to the South. He talks about um, us giving up our land power, our social ties, our Um, familial history, our intergenerational power when our families left the South and moved to the North, which was supposed to be the promised land. And he talks about the fact that these cities were actually not good for Black people. We were uh, railroaded into housing tenements. We were denied good jobs. We weren't able to live the American dream. And so Blow argues for a reverse migration similar to what we are seeing happening now. So I brought this to the pod because I think many of us know people, know Black people who are moving South, who are making decisions um, to raise their kids in places where they can see uh, Black people thriving and where they feel comfortable raising their families. And 
They are looking for places where they can build community, that where they can reconnect with history, where they can reconnect with faith. And I just thought it is interesting to take this from the micro to the macro and look at how these trends are affecting our communities, our cities, um, both in North and South. Keep your eye open and let's watch and see what happens. And here's my conversation with Jonathan Katz. You know, there are some books you read and every page you're like, what, what, is this real, what, huh? And that's how I was talking to Jonathan. Stellar book, so many stories. We couldn't even cover all the things I wanted to talk about. It just wasn't enough time. Must buy the book, must read the book. And I can't wait to see what he does next. Here we go. Hey, you're listening to Pod Save the People. Don't go anywhere, there's more to come. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Beyonce, Katanji Brown Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, the Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color founded companies. For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life. Maybe that's yourself to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us today on Pod Save the People. Thank you for having me here. So you were here because of your book, uh, Gangsters of Capitalism. I learned a ton um, in this in this book and I have a lot of questions. But before we start diving in, can you tell us like how you got here? Why, like, how did you did you know you wanted to be a journalist? Was was writing about inequality and um, and issues like this? Was that like a was that always a thing? Or how did you get on to writing about capitalism in this very specific way that we'll talk about? Like, what? How did you get here? That's a great question. How did I? Get here? I don't know if I know the answer to that question myself. It was sort of a series of maybe accidents, um, as, you know, as well as, you know, various interests from, from various points of my life. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I think I, I always maybe secretly and, and uh, somewhat in denial wanted to be a journalist. Um, and when I, uh, started out in journalism, I decided pretty early on that I wanted to do mostly foreign correspondence. Um, and uh, my first gig uh, I was with the Associated Press, the wire service, for about eight years. And my, my first gig with AP was in Jerusalem um, during the Second Intifada. Uh, so I was covering Israel and Palestine. And I thought that, you know, what I really wanted to do was was end up in the Middle East. Um, but life ended up having other plans. I ended up spending um, the bulk of, of my AP career 
in the Caribbean, um, first in the Dominican Republic, and then uh, three and a half years in Haiti. And while I was in Haiti, um, I was there uh, on the January 12th earthquake of 2010, almost exactly 12 years ago. My God. Um, you were there? I, yeah, I survived that earthquake. But yeah, so yeah, I was, I was there. Um, uh, I, I survived that earthquake. Uh, I, uh, you know, I'd done a lot of reporting in Haiti for the two and a half years before that earthquake. And then uh, in, in the aftermath of that, um, I, you know, I spent another year in Haiti covering the, you know, the, the failed response and just all of the, all of the, the crap that, that went on. Um, I broke the story that the United Nations introduced cholera to Haiti in, in the fall of 2010. Um, and so when I was writing my, my first book, which was about the earthquake in Haiti, it was called The Big Truck That Went By, um, I, uh, you know, I got interested in, I was, I was always interested in history. Um, I was a, an American studies and, and history major in college. Um, but I knew that I needed to explain, you know, the history of Haiti, how things had gotten to be the way they were that, you know, a 7.0 earthquake ended up being the deadliest earthquake in the history of the Western hemisphere. And that required talking about the U.S. occupation of Haiti. And while I was doing research for that book, um, I, I stumbled across uh, Smedley Butler, who, who this book is about, who, who we're going to talk about. Um, but it, it got me really interested in sort of these questions of American imperialism and capitalism and exploitation. So, th so these were things that I was interested in. They're things that I'd, I'd done a lot of other reporting on, including domestically in Chicago and in, in Washington, other places. Um, but I think that in terms of my, you know, Marvel origin story um, of, of how I got onto, onto this particular topic with, with, I guess, the intensity that, that I have right now, um, I think my experiences in, in Haiti and seeing people who, you know, were on the other side of exploitation of, you know, capitalism and white supremacy and American imperialism, that, that, that's really what, what I think uh, got me most fascinated with what's happening here. Now, let me just tell you that Smelly Butler was everywhere. I mean, I had never heard of this man before and... <laughs> Every page, I'm like, how? How is it? He is literally like a, it wasn't even, you know, I don't know. They didn't have electricity back then that way. Like, I, <laughs> I, I'm i sort of shocked. Like, every page. At first, I was like, okay, this might not be the same guy. I'm like, he. this might be like a euphemism. And then I'm like, what is going on? How is he? How was he everywhere? I just don't, logistically, I don't understand, Jonathan. Can you also just tell us like how you got to, how you got to him? Like, was it... Did you stumble upon him? Did you, did somebody whisper in your ear, you should look at this guy? Like how? So I, so, so the short answer, as in much of my life, is Haiti. Um, I, came, I came to Smedley Butler through a different route than, than a lot of other people do. Okay, so, um, you know, I've, I've learned sort of over the, the years that I was working on this book to categorize the world in, in, in two broad categories. People who've heard of Smedley Butler before I bring him up and people who haven't. Um, people who've never heard of him, like, you know, I, I'll start talking about him and they'll just be like, what? What, what is his name? <laughs> what? Um, and then other people, I'm like, I'm writing this book about this Marine. He was everywhere. And then he like blew the whistle on this fascist coup in the 1930s. 
And they'll be like, oh, of course, Dudley Butler. I, I have, you know, I have like a wall dedicated to him in my house. Um, but the way I came to him was a little bit different. Um, you know, most people know about him because either they were in the Marines or they know about him because of his later anti-imperialism or, or his anti-fascism. Um, I came to him because of Haiti. Uh, he was a, you know, he was a big deal in a lot of places that he was, but the U.S. occupation of Haiti, so the United States occupied Haiti brutally from 1915 to 1934. And Smedley Butler played a huge role in every stage of the beginning of, of, of that occupation. Um, so he was, he was there in the invasion. Um, he helped basically invent counterinsurgency, fighting up uh, against the, the resistance movement that, that, that arose to, to fight against the Americans during the occupation. Um, and he then uh, was, was the first commandant, the first commander of the client military that we set up there. Um, it, it, you know, the beginning of a lineage that, that goes through to the present day with, uh, uh, you know, uh, our client militaries in, in Iraq and, and, you know, Afghanistan with the Afghan National Army and things like that. Um, and, and in Haiti, he, so I, I, I came on to him at first because I was, you know, when I was writing my first book, I knew I needed to have a bit about the U.S. occupation of Haiti in like one chapter that talked about the history of Haiti. And I was like, I was looking for some color, maybe a little bit of character that, that, that could, you know, drive that, that part of the book. And I didn't end up using any of the material that I found, but I found this guy, Smedley Butler. And in Haiti, Butler is known as the devil. Literally, people called him the devil at the time. Um, in, in Haitian Creole, he's known as Meshant. He's the, like the, the most evil, uh, the, the most corrupt of, of the, the Marines. Um, there's a, a, a novel, uh, written by a, a Haitian novelist named, uh, Stefan Alexi, uh, that came out sort of toward the end of the U.S. occupation in, in the early 1930s, uh, about the U.S. occupation. And the villain of that book is a Marine named Smedley, who's obviously you know, a, a very thinly veiled uh, stand-in for Smedley Butler. But as I was looking for more information about him, I, you know, plugged his name into Google, and all of these other things came up. You know, a book called War is a Racket, this guy who blew the whistle on you know, a fascist coup against Franklin Roosevelt in 1934. And I was trying to figure out, like, you know, this can't be the same person because, like, how could the most méchant of the Marines from Haiti then be like U.S. imperialism is bad and and uh, and and you know these 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 horrible capitalists are trying to implement uh, you know fascism at home? And then I found out it's the same guy, and so that was what really so that kind of got stuck in my head. That book came out. Uh, my first book came out in, in, in 2013, but for the couple of years after that, I, you know, I was thinking, you know, what is my next book going to be about? What am I going to, you know, what am I going to spend time on? And I couldn't get this, this Smedley Butler guy out of my head. And the more that I learned about him, you know, the more I realized that he was everywhere. He was in the Philippines, he was in China, he was in Nicaragua, he was in World War I, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the more I realized, like, 
this guy's story, like this is the story. This is, this is in a lot of ways, the story of, or it's a story of America. Um, and, and it was, it was something that I just, you know, generally speaking, when, when, when something gets stuck in your head like that and you, and you can't put it away, that's, that's what you should be writing about. And one of the things that you did in the chapter on Haiti that, like, I feel like literally every chapter I was like, whoop, didn't know that, didn't know that, okay, didn't know that, didn't know that, is that, like, he, in, in many ways, is like the father of counterinsurgency as he, um, as he exploited the tension between the two rival groups and, and then eventually used that to win the loyalty of the Haitian people in that area and then later turn on them. I honestly just had no clue. I was like, okay, this is, this is really wild. It's also like, did he, did, this is just because I'm curious, did he have like a sidekick? Was there like a person who was with him this whole time? Or did he have a family? Like, how do you, do you know any of that part? So to a certain extent, you know, especially at the beginning of his career, he's kind of the number two. Um, and this, this, is, this is true in Haiti at the beginning of the occupation. So, you know, his, his mentor in the Marines was a guy named Littleton Waller. Um, and, and Littleton Waller was, um, you know, another legendary Marine in the Corps, um, but just, just an awful, just an awful person. Um, a, 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 a hideous racist. Um, he was from, uh, one of the oldest, uh, white families, white settler families in Virginia. Um, actually, uh, uh, his family is, is best known among some people. Um, if you've read, uh, Roots by Alex Haley, the Waller family is who Alex Haley identifies as, uh, the, the people who enslaved, um, you know, quote unquote, Toby Waller. Who Alex Haley identified as as Kinte. Um There was there was actually some problems with that identification, but nonetheless, they they really were they really were kind of a, an FFV, you know, like the first family of Virginia, just like pioneers of slavery and and uh, and, and white supremacy in the United States. And Waller, um, you know, he's he's the one who's sort of showing Butler the ropes. And Waller does a bunch of things. Um, he leads Butler uh, and, and other Marines uh, in an invasion of China in 1900. Um, they're fighting against uh, what was known as, as the Boxer Rebellion. It was essentially a, an anti-foreign uh, uh, uprising among peasants using martial arts against, against foreign missionaries and, and, and uh, foreign imperialists. Um, Waller then ends up in the Philippines where he oversees Essentially, this uh, he basically runs this sort of uh, lo- you know low-level genocide uh, on on an island called Samar, um, where they're 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 instructed to kill everybody every male over the age of ten um, in in revenge for for a massacre of U.S. troops. And in Haiti, Waller is um, he's the head of of the ground forces. He's the head of of the Marines, um, and. He is approaching Haiti uh, through this lens that is very typical of, of white Americans, in, uh, especially Southern white Americans, uh, in the 19th century and, and the early 20th century. This is you know, 1915 we're talking about, um, which is that Haiti is this example of black self-liberation, uh, black freedom, 
you know, it's, it's, it's the, you know, the, the Haitian Revolution. They, they overthrew uh, their, their colonial and, and, and enslavers in France and, and declared independence for themselves. They defeated Napoleon and, and became uh, the second uh, independent republic in the Western Hemisphere in 1804 um, and, and the first one in which all people were free. And throughout the 19th century, Haiti was looked at by people like Littleton Waller as this example of, um, of just horror that like, you know, if, if, you know, in, in the lead up to, to our civil war in the United States, uh, the Confederates were all like, you know, you can't, you can't end slavery because then we're going to end up like Haiti. Uh, you know, the enslaved people are going to, are going to kill us in our beds, which who knows, maybe. Um, but they would have been justified in doing so, honestly. But, um, and so Waller is, is, he's looking at, at this, um, a time in Haiti as sort of an opportunity to, uh, you know, get, get his revenge and to, and to, and to keep, you know, to keep this, this horrible place that he's grown up, you know, hearing basically ghost stories about down and suppressed. Butler is, is interesting. Butler is, you know, uh, a, a, a little bit younger, you know, he's a couple decades younger than Waller. Waller's from Virginia and Butler is, is a Quaker from Pennsylvania. Um, Butler's grandfathers both fought, uh, for the United States, uh, for the Union in the Civil War. I mean, he, he grew up with a, a very, um, uh, you know, intense, uh, you know, Quaker upbringing, uh, that, you know, sort of, a tradition that, that came out of abolition and, and, you know, sort of believed in, in, in uh, some, you know, notion of equality, but he was carrying around with him uh, a much more Northern uh, style of racism of white supremacy that I think would be more familiar to, to people today um, where he just sort of didn't question the why, you know, black people didn't live in his, family's town on, you know, the, the wealthy main line of, of Philadelphia. Um, and, you know, he just sort of was like, well, this is just the, the normal order of the universe. And so while Waller had been going around basically just, you know, uh, throwing around the N-word, Smedley Butler used the N-word too, um, but, but, but uh, while Waller was just going around, you know, basically being like, let's just kill all these people. Um, uh, Butler, Butler was, was a little more nuanced, but that ends up actually, I think in a lot of ways being, you know, if not more than at least equally destructive, uh, of the, of, you know, Waller's style of racism. Um, and, and, you know, as you talk about, like that ends up being channeled into what ends up becoming counterinsurgency doctrine. Butler is basic because Butler is able to see, you know, Haitians who are black more as individuals than, than his mentor Littleton Waller was. He's able to exploit them more, more methodically. He's able to sort of deal with them as people and then manipulate them. Um, and then, and then, you know, uh, uh, create a much more durable, um, and, and exploitative, uh, 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 regime of U.S. imperialism that ends up lasting in Haiti officially until 1934. But, you know, Haitians will tell you, uh, the United States still is, is, is running the show from, from behind the scenes. Um, but then, you know, later on, there are, 
there are other people who who um, uh, you know follow Butler who are who I guess would be described as his sidekicks. Um, not to mention, I don't I don't think he, she is his his sidekick, but but his wife Ethel Butler is also often on on these missions with him, and and uh, and, and her perspectives are, are fascinating as well. Learning that Butler like himself dissolved the Haitian government at one point is mm-hmm. bonkers. Yeah, I was like, this man was wild. Yeah, and then uh, so here's a question I'll ask you because uh, you know I, I know you don't have forever to talk about this, but um, one of the things that comes up repeatedly about uh, through this story and definitely with Butler is the control of information. So I bring up the dissolving of the Haitian government. Because what you write is that they, like, essentially scrubbed every account of it, brought the media in, and was like, you can't talk about it, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that as, like, a central theme to the story that you that you wrote? And so that's one. So I'll stack these questions. The other one is, um, can you talk, can you, def- so there are a lot of people listening to the podcast who are activists, but there are a lot of people who... Um, who are not and who care about the world around them. And I do want us to define the terms. When you say capitalism, like what does that mean? And when you say imperialism, what does that mean? Right. Those are good questions. So, so first of all, um, yes, uh, Butler uh, in 1917. So, you know, the U S is, is occupying Haiti. Um, we have installed essentially a, a puppet president by that point, but there's still an independent legislature. And what the United States, Woodrow Wilson, um, speaking of white supremacists, what, what he wants to do at that moment um, is replace Haiti's constitution uh, because Haiti's constitution, going back to its independence in 1804, did not permit the foreign ownership of land. Land is extremely important in Haiti. Um, you know, this is a country founded in uh, a revolution by enslaved people um, who, who, you know, burn the plantations of, uh, of, of their French enslavers, um, and then, you know, c- controlling their own land, um, was, was as important to them and, and really the key to them, uh, you know, in Haitian imagination and really Haitian reality, um, in, in, as, as controlling their own lives. And the Americans were like, that's not going to work for us. We want, um, we want our businesses to come here. We want, you know, uh, 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 agricultural exports. Um, the banks, uh, you know, are, are, are looking to invest. And, and so we need to write a new constitution that's going to allow foreigners, specifically Americans, to own land. And this still independent uh, Haitian legislature was like, no. And so Smedley Butler went in. Uh, with uh, some Marines and a force of uh, gendarmes, which was uh, the, the, the Haitian client military that, that he was the head of. Um, and they went in armed and said, uh, you're done, you're, you're dissolved. And they, they dissolved the, 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 the Assemblée Nationale, the, the Haitian National Assembly, at gunpoint. And, um, and, it, and it was shuttered um, for, for you know, the, the next, I think it was 12 years. And then, as you note, um, Butler then goes back, he, he destroys the records of, uh, you know, the, the assembly's last votes and then gathers the, the Haitian newspaper editors, um, in his office and says, you're not, you're not, you're not to breathe a word of, of how this happened. Um, and yeah, one of the, you know, one of the, the, the guide stars that I had writing this book, 
um, you know, the way, the way, the way I wrote gangsters, it's, it's a biography. Um, but, uh, it's also a, you know, a modern day travelogue. I, I go to all of the places that Butler and the Marines, uh, the Americans went in the early 20th century to write about what's going on now and what the legacies are and also what the, the historical memory is of these periods. Um, and in that I was, I was really guided by, um, uh, the great uh, Haitian scholar, anthropologist, Michel Ralph Trouillot, um, who wrote a terrific book. Uh, it's very short. And, and if you haven't read it, anybody's listening who hasn't read it, um, I highly recommend it. It's called Silencing the Past. Um, and he writes about the ways in which history is silenced uh, through the creation and destruction of archives, uh, through, you know, cultural production of memory, um, uh, as, as, as he writes in, in one part, memorable part of the book, he says, you know, one, uh, uh, one silences the past as, 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 uh, as one silences the, silences a gun. Um, and, and Butler played, uh, he, he, he's, he's on both sides of that equation because he's both destroying, um, uh, records of the things that he's doing, such as, such as shuttering the, the, um, uh, the Haitian National Assembly in 1917, but then at the end of his life in the 1930s, he's then fighting against that silencing by writing, by going on the speaking circuit, by writing a series of of pretty radical articles um, in in a socialist magazine called Common Sense, um, and then his book, you know, War is a Racket, um, and he he's out there saying, you know, I did these things, I I, I you know participated in in the raping of of you know Central American republics, I I made. Cuba and Haiti a safe place for the Citibank boys to do business in. I made you know China safe for Standard Oil, things like that. Um, so 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 he's he's playing with all that. In terms of the, the, the working definitions that I'm using of of um, uh, capitalism and imperialism, um, it's those are both I think big questions. Um, I would say that uh, the w- the reason why um, I think that the United States uh, can can you know obviously and 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 really almost, almost inarguably, uh, be defined as an empire, um, is that, you know, we are a country, uh, that, uh, we, we control, um, a, a, an enormous amount of, of land, uh, both directly and indirectly. Um, and, and, the, and, you know, some of that, much of that has been made, really, actually more, most of it, um, has been taken by, um, uh, by force and the people in, under our rule, um, there are different classes of rule and, and not everybody has a say. So, so there's, um, there's, there, there are, uh, direct de jure examples, uh, such as, um, some of the colonies that were seized in Butler's era that are still colonies of the United States, Puerto Rico, Guam, um, uh, uh, uh the Northern Mariana Islands is taken, uh, uh, in World War II. Uh, American Samoa um, and the Virgin Islands, and th- you know those are places where uh, people are under the control of our central government in Washington, but they don't have a say in. They have no representation, uh, you know, on the floor of Congress. They have no say in, in who becomes president. And then you have you have other categories of places where we, you know, have been running things from behind the scenes, whether we are. You know, overthrowing governments, uh, using the Marines and Butler's era of the CIA later on, drone strikes now, um, 
uh, you know, running, you know, bases, what, what, uh, the historian Daniel Emmerwar calls, you know, our, our pointillist empire. Um, so I, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's fairly inarguable that, that you have a metropole, you have a, 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 a homeland, a core country, um, and then you have this larger United States and this, and this larger, these larger, uh, you know, overlapping and, and, and telescoping spheres of influence. Those are an empire, um, and uh, it, it, you know, in, in, in terms of, of capitalism, um, you know, it's it's uh, all all of the, the the standard definitions apply. I mean, you know, we're we're, we're talking about um, you know a a, uh, a nominally market economy uh, that that prioritizes uh, the creation of wealth for the capital class, um, which you know involves the exploitation of labor um and the exploitation of of uh, of of other people's for resources um and and that's and that's what's happening throughout this period and it's why Smedley Butler calls himself a racketeer for capitalism because he's going to places and knocking over governments and uh you know destroying resistance movements and you know implementing military control for the purpose of uh, the banks, the industrialists, and you know the 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 you know the people who are going to benefit from this this sort of you know upward redistribution of wealth. Those were long answers, but they were big, big questions. Jonathan Katz, y'all is on it. Y'all need to follow this man's every step. So, couple things um, as we close out is. He has a change of heart at the end that you have referenced a couple of times, and obviously you write about. Um, what causes that? Like, why do you think that? Why do you think he is there? And 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 is there any impact of that? Um, I think that it's a couple of things. I mean, to a certain extent, he sort of ends up back where he started. I mean, he he joins the Marines at at sixteen um, in the war against Spain. Uh, you know, and he has a very paternalist you know, uh, you know, again, unexamined sort of white supremacist way of thinking about this, but he's, you know, he's a 16 year old and he's thinking I'm getting into this war to fight against imperialism, against the Spanish empire. And as he puts it, you know, to free little Cuba. Um, and, you know, he's sort of living out his, his, his Quaker upbringing. Um, and, you know, to a certain extent, like, you know, these are, th- this is American rhetoric. Um, and it comes from a real place. I mean, you know, you know, we, we, we do grow up believing that we are, you know, uh, the land of the free, and that, and that, um, you know, uh, you know, all men are created equal, and that, and that these are these are things that that, that we as Americans should, you know, make realities in the world, um, and you know, those are good goals, and and he had those, and to a certain extent, he never gave those up. Um, he just sort of got lost along the way, I think, you know, as he just got lost in his own, you know, quest for masculinity and, and, and to sort of, you know, gain fame and, and become a Marine. Um, and also, you know, he, he just had, you know, all this sort of, uh, unexamined Michigas, <laughs> my people would say, um, uh, that, you know, it just, these un, unexamined, um, assumptions, um, that, that I think he learned more about, but it was being, it was being out there, Doing these things and doing horrible things, um, I think he 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 you know he establishes um, I think very clearly uh, PTSD. He has a very very clear sense of what would now be called moral injury, and he has um, uh, you know he's he's seeing 
you know, we're doing these things, you know, in the name of freedom and, and, you know, and, and, and the American flag, but the people who are benefiting aren't the poor. They're not the poor at home and they're definitely not the poor and, 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 and the people who are exploiting in Nicaragua and Honduras, et cetera. Um, but it's, you know, it's the banks, it's, it's the rich and, and the end of his life is the great depression and the, and the, and the rise of fascism in Europe and uh, the near rise of fascism in the United States and, and the run up to world war two. And, and he just, you know, uh, to, to, you know, to, to a certain extent, he has, you know, some professional setbacks, um, you know, his father, who's kind of his, his you know, sponsor, he's a congressman, dies. Um, uh, he, he, he misses out. Butler doesn't become the commandant of the Marine Corps, which was something that he had very much wanted to do. And, um, uh, you know, and, and, but he's also, seeing, he's also seeing the ways in which the horrible things that he's done overseas are coming back home. And, you know, he's an American, he's a patriot, and he, and, and he, he doesn't want. He doesn't want those things to happen to, you know, people in, in his country. To a certain extent, he's anticipating Franz Fanon um, and, you know, Amé Césaire. And, you know, Franz Fanon says, you know, uh, what is uh, fascism but uh, uh, colonialism at the heart of a traditionally colonialist country? And, and, and he's, he's sort of anticipating that conclusion. Um, and so, you know, he's been... He's been a ballsy guy his entire life, um, often in the service of horrible things. Um, and at the end of his life, he, he, he tries to make good on that to the best he can. Uh, he succeeds in some, um, some respects and, and, and to other respects, uh, you know, the structures are, are just too big for, for, for somebody to uh, un, undo. And, and to a certain extent, uh, that's, you know, that, that the, the, the tragedy of his life is that very few people played as big a role in creating these, you know, enduring structures of imperialism, permanent war, um, and, and, and exploitation in the United States than Smedley Butler did himself. And, uh, and, and that's something that I think that I, and, and that a lot of people who are reading this book, I think could identify with is that, you know, we, we also, I think, struggle with these things, our role in perpetuating. Um, and by the way, I just, it just occurred to me that we didn't even talk about the fact that Butler played a singular role in militarizing the police in Philadelphia um, when he became director of public safety in the 1920s. The brief thing is that he takes a brief uh, leave from the Marines during Prohibition um, in the 1920s to go and clean up his hometown of, of Philadelphia. Um, and he ends up, he, 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 he runs the police force um, and he's supposed to be, you know, fighting against gangsters against, you know, uh, uh, these, you know, uh, bootleggers. Um, but he ends up, you know, uh, just uh, introducing military tactics uh, that end up you know, <laughs> getting a lot of people killed. Um, and actually one of the people who uh, serves in the, in the Philadelphia police under Butler um, uh, is, is a guy named uh, uh, Ralph Rizzo, whose son, Frank Rizzo, uh, ends up becoming a notorious, obviously, uh, Philadelphia police chief and, and mayor, um, who's probably familiar to, to many of your listeners and, and, and obviously the, the movement for black lives. Um, so you can read more about that in the book. So there are two questions we ask everybody. The first is, uh, what's a piece of advice that you've gotten over the years that stuck with you? A piece of advice that I've gotten, I don't know, I, I, um, uh, this maybe is a, 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 a little bit of a, of a cliched answer, 
Um, but, um, uh, you know, I'm Jewish and, and, you know, I, I grew up being taught, um, uh, you know, the, the saying by, uh, 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 Maimonides, um, that, you know, if, if, if I'm, uh, if, if, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? And if, if I'm only for myself, then what am I? And if not now, when? Um, and, you know, that's, that's something that I've, I've kept with me. And it's something I, I think a lot about, um, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm working on a project like this, um, you know, and, and it's, it's something that I think that, that, that Butler was, was also struggling with, uh, not, not, he, not that he was a great student of Maimonides, um, but, you know, trying to figure out, like, how do, how do you, how do you, how do you make sure that you get your own, how, how, how do you make sure that you defend your own interests, but also do so, um, at, you know, help other people and, and help your community um, and, and that, that if you wait, um, it, it may be too late for everybody. So you just have to, to, to work as quickly as you can. That feels like a really, really corny answer, but for whatever reason, that's what just jumped into my mind. And the last is, um, there's actually another question, just a just logistical, but the last real question is, there are a lot of people who feel like they've done everything, right? They call, they email, they testify, they read your book, they read mine, they listen to the podcast, they have been in the street, they ran for office, and the world still hasn't changed the way they want it to. What do you say to those people, the people losing hope in moments like this? Uh, I think that one of the big questions that I'm trying to grapple with in, in, in this book, and, and really in my life in general, um, you know, is this question of, of, of structure versus contingency, you know, the structure versus individual action. Um, and, you know, and Smedley Butler also struggled with this. Um, it's much easier to, to, to be effective if you are part of the machine, if you're, if you're, if your oar is rowing in the same direction as, as everybody's around you. Um, and, and it, it's a lot harder to affect change, um, if you are, if you're fighting against the current and if you're trying to, if you're trying to, uh, you know, just some mixed metaphors, you know, steer the ship in, in a different direction. Um, you know, I, I, the thing, the thing I think to keep in mind is, um, you know, if you're not being as effective, um, if you're not being as successful, uh, uh, you know, trying to change things as, as you were, or as, as other people are just sort of, you know, going with the flow, um, that's normal. And that's, and that's what, that's what you should expect. Um, it's really, really hard to change structures. Uh, but, uh, but if structures were inevitable, if, if everything was just always the way it is, um, and, and there was never any changing it, uh, then, then history would have never happened. Right. I mean, then, then we would all, we'd all be in the cave, you know, uh, uh, you know, painting horses, um, things change over time. And, and, and they change because of individual choices and they, they change because of people who take risks, um, and, and people who, who take risks and fail, um, but, 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 uh, create examples that, that other people can, can pick up later. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's really discouraging. I mean, we have these huge structural catastrophes that we're facing right now. Um, you know, democratic decline, uh, white supremacy and climate change being the biggest one of all, I think. Um, and, and they, they seem really, really hopeless. Um, but you know, all, you know, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to answer my, uh, my, my, my last question better. He's not Maimonides, but he was my grandfather. Um, he, he always used to say, 
he always used to say whenever whenever I would you know be trying to do something and it wouldn't go my way, um, uh, he would say, "You're in there pitching." And that and 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 I always think about that. It's like I'm I'm trying, I'm trying, and it might not I might not succeed, and maybe I'll never succeed. Um, but 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 I'm in there, I'm pitching, I'm in the game, and it's better than it's better than the alternative. Boom. So as we close, can you just tell people where to stay in touch with you? Remind people of the name of the book and tell them where they can buy it. Yeah. So the book is Gangsters of Capitalism, Smedley Butler, The Marines, and the Making and Breaking of America's Empire. Um, you can buy it anywhere. Uh, I, you know, obviously it's great to support your your local independent bookstore, um, but you know, anywhere you buy books online, uh, you can get it. Um, you can keep in touch with me. I've uh, first of all, I have a, a newsletter. Um, it's called The Racket, named for Smedley Butler's book War Is a Racket. Um, you can find it at theracket.news, that's dot N-E-W-S. Um, and you can find me on uh, Twitter at Cats on Earth, K-A-T-Z-O-N-E-A-R-T-H. Well, that's it. Thanks so much for tuning into Pod to the People this week. Tell your friends to check it out. Make sure to rate it wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or somewhere else. And we will see you next week. Positive the People is a production of Crooked Media. It's produced by AJ Moultre and mixed by Charlotte Lands. Executive produced by me and special thanks to our weekly contributors, Kai Henderson, D.R. Ballinger, and Miles Johnson. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.